you turn back to Hebrews chapter 3? Verse 7, today, if you will hear his voice. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If I am in a false refuge, I want the Lord to drive me out of that refuge, don't you? Now, there are two false refuges that men hide in, and I fear this. I fear this for myself. I fear this for you. The first False refuge is yesterday. And the second false refuge is tomorrow. Now I want you to think about that. The first false refuge is yesterday. And the next false refuge is tomorrow. Yesterday. What I did yesterday, what I experienced yesterday, what I believed yesterday, looking at what took place, how I perceived myself to be yesterday as a ground of assurance today. Can you see how easy it would be to fall into that? Faith is always in the now. Faith's not for yesterday. Faith's not for tomorrow. Faith is always present tense. The Lord said to the church at Sardis, you have a name that you live you're living in the past you're living off your past experience you're living off your past faith you have a name you have a reputation from the past and you are dead he said to the church at Sardis now living finding refuge and yesterday is no different than eating yesterday's manna. What did yesterday's manna do? It bred worms and it stank. That's all it could do. You could not live on yesterday's manna. Yesterday is a false refuge. It combats faith in Christ. Now, the next false refuge is tomorrow. Tomorrow, I will 
fill in the blank. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Tomorrow it will be different. Tomorrow I will, whatever it might be. Now listen real carefully. Both of those false refuges are works. What I did yesterday. What I experienced yesterday. What I will do tomorrow. Those are false refuges. When we hide in yesterday and tomorrow, in both of these instances, we are trusting our works. What we did, what we experienced, what we believed, what we will do tomorrow, what we will experience tomorrow. I think of what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now look in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, and you'll notice a parenthesis. Uh, the parentheses were put there by the translators. They weren't inspired. They were put there by the translators to serve as a parenthetical statement. And when they said that, they're saying, they're not saying that this within the parentheses is not inspired. It is. But they're saying you can pull that out as an explanatory statement and come back to it. Now, you'll notice from verse 7 to the end of verse 11 is in parentheses. It's a quotation from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And in the translator's mind, you could pull that out and leave it out and come back to it. And it would read like this, verse 7, Wherefore, pull the parentheses out, wherefore, verse 12, wherefore take heed, brethren, He's speaking to brethren. Be careful. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now, wherefore, take heed, brethren. Now, he's speaking to believers. I need to hear this. You need to hear this. Take heed, brethren. And this is a, he gives the uh, quote from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. Uh, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Wherefore, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. 
Now, we believe in the eternal security of God's elect, don't we? If Christ died for you, if God elected you, if God the Holy Spirit gave you a new heart, you will persevere. You will not fall away. We believe that, don't we? Somebody said, do you believe in one saved, always saved? Well, it depends on who saved you. If you saved yourself, ah, you'll fall. But if God saved you, yes, we believe in once saved, always saved. The eternal security of the believer. And what is the evidence of him saving you? You know, um, people, uh, particularly, I guess, Baptists, make a big issue of eternal security. Uh, you look back at that experience you had, you had it, you're secure. You can't fall away. And that's finding a false refuge in the past. Uh, that's not what eternal security is. It's not, well, I had an experience. I, quote, got saved, and since salvation is eternal, I'm eternally secure. I don't believe that's the teaching of eternal security at all. The evidence of eternal security is perseverance all the way to the end. Looking to Christ only all the way to the end. Hold your finger there in Hebrews 3 and turn to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 19. They went out from us. They were of us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. It is only those who persevere all the way to the end, looking to Christ only, that God has done something for. The evidence of salvation is perseverance. And by perseverance, please hear me, I do not mean continuing religious. By perseverance, I mean you continue look only to Christ. You never graduate past that. You never grow past that. You never make progress past that. If you have, you've left Christ. Perseverance is looking only to Christ. Now, you and I ought to know enough about ourselves, our sinfulness, our weakness that we will fall away if he doesn't keep us. Do you know that? We will fall away if he does not keep us, and we should fear falling away. Look in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is writing to brethren. Somebody says, you're trying to rob me of my assurance. If I can, I want to. <laughs> 
If I can't rob you of your assurance, there isn't much to your assurance, is there? It's not real. But look what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says. The writer says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Fall short and never really rest. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, Satan does not know whether or not I'm one of the elect. Right now he doesn't know. He doesn't know whether or not you're one of the elect. If he did, he wouldn't bother with me. He wouldn't bother with you. But let me say this. He will continually attempt to corrupt me and you from the simplicity that's in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11. Listen, he's fine with me and you being religious. He's fine with that. He's, he just assumed we stay that way. He's fine with that. But what his attempt is, is to corrupt us from the simplicity, the singularity of Christ. Look in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 11. For I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity, the singleness, the onlyness of Jesus Christ. I hear preachers quite frequently say, trust Christ and. Trust Christ and turn from your sins. Trust Christ and fill in the blank. I am all for never sinning again. So don't anyone misunderstand me about this. But if you have a trust Christ and, You've left faith alone. Trust Christ alone. Now he says in verse, back to our text in Hebrews chapter 3. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you. And this says to me, take heed, Todd Nybert, lest there be in any of me an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today. Today. When is the time to look to Christ only? Right now. Not tomorrow, 
Don't look at yesterday's experience to find assurance for today. That's no different than eating manna from yesterday. It'll breed worms and stink. It's no good. Faith is always for the present. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened. Boy, that's a, a, a scary proposition, to be hardened. You know, all God's got to do is leave me alone. He doesn't have to do anything to me except leave me alone. And I will be hardened. I'll become gospel hardened. Where I can't hear. I remember when Lynn and I bought our first home. Uh, it was on Bobbling Drive. And uh, there were trees in the back. And I never bothered to look what was behind that house. And that night, a train came through. And the house rumbled. And I thought, what have I done? I'll never sleep again. This is horrible. Who's such an idiot that they don't look to see if there's train tracks? So I was. But you know it wasn't very long till when that train passed by. I didn't hear it. Didn't hear it. Became hardened. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Let me give you some scriptures with regard to this thing of deceit and deceitfulness. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You make your friends and companions, people of this world, they will always bring you down. They corrupt good manners. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Now, that's not simply talking about uh, engaging in uh, sinful fleshly activities. That's talking about sowing to the fleshly religion. You'll love that, reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, anybody know the rest of the verse? We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We've lied to ourselves and we've lost all credibility when we make a statement like that. Paul said, when a man thinketh himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. We read of the deceitfulness of riches. Oh, they make promises, don't they? We read of the deceitful lusts. We read of being spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. The deceitfulness of sin has such a hardening effect. 
but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if. If. And that is an evidential if. It's not a conditional if. It's an evidential if. If. Here's the evidence of being a partaker of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence. What's the beginning of your confidence? Where did it begin? Your confidence began when you looked to Christ alone. You didn't have any experience to trust. You didn't have any works to trust. You didn't have anything but Christ. Do you ever get past that? Somebody says, do you mean that growth in grace is not important? Of course I don't mean that. I want to grow in grace. I want to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to bear the fruit of God, the Holy Spirit. I want to manifest the Beatitudes. I want to walk in a way that honors Jesus Christ. If I start looking to that as evidence of my salvation, I've left Christ. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning. When I first looked to Christ, I knew that he was all I had. I didn't have anything else. When I first looked to Christ, I knew his righteousness was the only righteousness I had. When I first looked to Christ, I knew my only hope was found in the freeness of his grace and him keeping me in preserve. That's all I had. Now, here's the evidence of being a partaker of Christ. You don't leave there. You stay there all the way to the end. The beginning of my confidence, Christ alone. Plus nothing. Minus nothing. Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Christ alone. He's all God is. He's all God requires. He's all I have. He's all I want. He's all I need. That is to be held steadfast all the way to the end. And Satan's great attempt will be to move us and cause us to hide in the false refuge of yesterday and tomorrow rather than looking to Christ alone. Now let's go back to this parenthetical statement. As I said, this was not inspired. The uh, writers uh, thought that this is an explanatory statement and it's a quotation from Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11 he says, as the Holy Ghost saith, verse 7. Here's the explanation of this. As the Holy Ghost saith. And I love beginning right there, don't you? The Word of God. The Holy Ghost penned this. This is not some preacher's opinion. This is not some denominational distinctive. This is what the Holy Spirit says. For the Holy Ghost saith, today, 
if you will hear his voice. Now, the best way I know to understand today is the manna. One of these glorious things in the Bible, when they were in, brought into the promised land, you know, what, you know how they were fed? Manna came down from heaven every day in the morning. And by noon, it would melt away. You had to go out and get it. If you didn't go out and get it, you wouldn't eat. You had to go out and get it. But by noon, it would melt away. And there's something special about this manna. If you save some for tomorrow, you know what it would do? By the time you got to it, it would breed worms and stink. Can you imagine putting that stuff in your mouth and all of a sudden worms are in your mouth and a smell until you spit it out? It wouldn't do you any good, would it? And if you wanted yesterday's manna, same thing. Manna was to be eaten that day. And if you look at that manna to help you tomorrow, it won't help. You look right now. Today, if you will hear his voice. Yesterday's manna is no good. Yesterday's faith isn't doing me any good. Faith is always in the present for right now. Right now, I look to Christ alone. Today, if you will hear his voice. Hearing his voice in the preaching of the gospel. Oh, if my voice is the only voice we hear, we're in trouble, aren't we? The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Today, if you will hear his voice, he speaks by creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. God speaks by the created universe. He speaks by his word. That's what the Holy Spirit says. The word from the word that reveals the word. I love the simplicity of that. The word, the gospel message from the written word that reveals the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God. He speaks from his word, the word that is described as quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. In the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Now, what this is a reference to is what took place in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 14. Now, they had only been out of the, uh, Egypt for a short time, and they were getting ready to enter the promised land. This is before the 40 years of wandering. They were getting ready to enter into the promised land, so they come up with a plan. Instead of just going in and taking them because God said it's yours, they sent some spies. Let's check this out. And their spies were there for 40 days. And they come back with good news. <laughs> the land is indeed, just as God said, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they brought back a cluster of grapes on a staff that the two men carried to show just how much food was there. Everything was there. But there's a problem. There are giants in the land. There are giants in the land. And we're no match for them. We cannot fight them while we were like grasshoppers 
before them. We can't win. And the children of Israel started murmuring, why have you brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness? Let's make a captive and go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb said, we can take them. If the Lord's with us, and he is, they're meat for us. They're bread for us. We don't have anything to worry about. You know what the people said? Stone them. Stone them. Kill them. And that's when the Lord said, how long will you provoke me? They were looking at their own ability, their own strength, their own ability to fight off the giants, to bring them in. And they said, we can't do this. And that's when the Lord said, how long will the people provoke me? And they said, uh, you brought us out here uh, to die in the wilderness. Our children are going to die. They're going to be prey. He said, here's what's going to happen. And this is the Lord's word. He said, how, you were in there 40 days. For 40 years, you're going to wander in the wilderness. A year for each day. And those children that you said, they're going to be prey. They're going to die. They're all going to make it into the promised land. Every one of them. But none of you will. Your carcass are going to die in the wilderness. Now, supposedly at least a couple of million people left Israel. And all the ones under 20 made it in. All the ones over 20 did not make it in. They died in the wilderness during that 40-year period. There's only two people over 20 that made it in. Joshua, the Savior, and Caleb, the faithful dog. That's who made it in. The mighty Savior and the faithful dog. Now look what he says. Harden not your hearts, verse 8, as in the provocation... In the day of temptation in the wilderness, you would do well to read Numbers 13 and 14 this week. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err, always err, continually, perpetually. They always err in their hearts. They have not known my ways. You don't care just saying that song where the Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. They didn't know that. And it wasn't just lack of information. They didn't love that. Do you? He is the way of righteousness. His righteousness is the only righteousness there is. He's the way of life. His life is the only life there is. He's the way. You don't have to be confused. You're not presented a fork in the road. There's only one way. You don't have to get confused about this. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way you'll get into the Father's presence is if you're in me and I bring you there. You love that? 
Do you love him being the straight gate and the narrow way? He's so narrow that if you bring anything other than his righteousness, you can't fit through the gate. They've not known. They've not loved my ways, my ways. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart. They've not known my ways. So, verse 11, I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Look in chapter 4. <coughs> there remaineth, verse 9, <coughs> there remaineth therefore a rest, literally a Sabbath of rest. Now you know the story of the Sabbath. God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, the scripture says he rested. You and I both know he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because the work was what? Finished. It was very good. And so the Lord ended it because the work was finished. He rested because there was nothing left to do. His rest was in response to his finished work. In John chapter 19, verse 30, this is the sixth of the seven sayings of the Lord from the cross. The seventh saying is, uh, Father, into uh, thy hands I commend my spirit and gave up the ghost. But the sixth statement is this. It is finished. It's finished. There's nothing you or I can add to that. It's finished. We rest in the finished work of Christ. That means there's nothing for me or you to do. It is finished. Aren't you glad? The Lord said in John chapter 17, verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work. Thou gavest me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When he said it is finished, I was saved from my sins. All of them. And there's, I'm complete in Christ. That's what it is to rest in Christ. I'm complete in Christ. I don't need anything else. Complete. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete. Complete. 
There's nothing you need to do to enhance this. There's nothing you need to do to make it better. You are complete in him. In light of that, verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12. In light of that, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, you have unbelief in you. That's just a fact. Remember when that man said in Mark chapter 9, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You have unbelief in you, and you're a liar if you deny that. You have unbelief in you right now, but if you're one of God's elect, you also have faith. You believe. You believe, and that unbelief, you know where it'll take you if the Lord doesn't preserve you. And that's why he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ. That is a glorious thought, isn't it? We're made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As a matter of fact, I want you to look at this. So hold your finger there in Hebrews 3 and turn to Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6. As you therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord. How'd you receive him? Empty-handed. Nothing in my hands I bring. Don't try to bring something to God. Don't try to make a payment to him. Nothing. In my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's how I received him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The best thing you can do is nothing. Look to Christ only. Right now, and it'll be no different tomorrow. You look to Christ right now as all you have, all you want, all you need, and you rest in a finished work. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now, I said this in the last week or two, uh, in the last week or two, I don't remember which message it was, but I said this, I want to die 
looking to Christ only. That's the only way I want to die. Looking to Christ only. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in the high and holy name of your Son that you would deliver us from the false refuges of yesterday and tomorrow and cause us to look to thy Son only, even now. In his blessed name we pray.